Hello, my name is George. And I'm Jorge. And we've just released a new CD, George and Jorge Remix the World. Yeah, you see, there's so much great music out there that is worthless because it doesn't worship God. That's right. So what we've done is we've healed and purified them with just a little touch of Jesus. We'll give you a taste of it right now. One, two, three. So I put my hands up, worshiping my God, and the sin just flies away. <laughs> Healing the sick like ya, preaching the word like ya. <laughs> you know what this book is, Skippy? This is the only book that should be in churches other than the Holy Bible. Yep, you guessed it. It is a hymnal. Where such classics as Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. You know, stuff like that. Good stuff. Awesome stuff. But you know, today's music, it's just a little too loud. It just sounds like it should be in a bar. You know, the ancient church was really offended by hymns because it reminded them of bar songs. <laughs> Well, flip me over and tickle me twisted. Didn't know that. Still too loud. I'm just a leper, nobody loves me. He's just a leper from a leper colony. With scaly skin, he's a monstrosity. Do -de -de -do, do -de -do, do -de do Do not come, you must go, and your skin not show. Let it show. Must not show. Let it show. Must not show. Let it show. Must not show. No, 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 no. Pharisaea, Pharisaea. I've been caught a lot of things. Snake handler, reptile man, crazy. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you right now, there's no worship service that can shake two sticks at my chapel time. That's <laughs> for sure. Get back in there, Carl. Where were we? Oh, yeah. My church believes in the fear of the Lord. <laughs> and ain't nothing put the fear in a man like a rattlesnake. Tell me. You ever sung, He Has Made Me Glad, with a poisonous reptile stretched across your trembling shoulders? If not, then you've never truly worshipped. You don't believe me? Let me show you. Carl? Oh, Carl's out. Y'all start praying. Start looking around and start praying. I'm serious. That snake will kill you dead. Carl! Right, somebody get me some help. I ain't gonna touch that thing. I'm not a heathen. I just got saved by my good Lord. Yeah. I just got saved by my good Lord. Oh, yeah. I just got saved by my good, good Lord. I'm, I'm not, not a heathen. heathen. Tonight's at night. Let's praise the Lord. I got some money. Let's tie it. T -t tie it up. I'm not a heathen. To hear some of those songs in the weeks ahead. I'm not a heathen. You can and we'll film it. How about that? I would love to see Zach handle a snake. There's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. Problem is, most of us have not seen the local church working right. When the local church is working right, Lost people get found. Marriages get put back together. Hungry people get fed. Folks with hurts and habits and hang-ups get healed. Problem is, 
How many churches do you know of that those things are characteristic week in and week out? The reality is most local churches aren't working right. And we want to be one of those that works right. So we started several weeks ago with this series, and we're doing a quick study through the book of Acts. And and we're talking about what does a church that's working right look like? If we could be the perfect church, what are some things that we would emphasize? And so we went back four weeks ago, and we said the very first thing that the first church in the book of Acts, Acts is the fifth book in in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's the good news about Jesus, living a sinless life, dying on the cross, being raised from the dead, He's gone, now what? Acts answers the question, now what? So five weeks ago, we looked at it and we said the number one issue for a church that's working right is to be focused on Jesus. Here's what Jesus did. Here's what Jesus said. We're going to do the same things and, and say the same things that Jesus did. Second week, we talked about a, a church that's working right is selfless. It's the complete opposite of selfishness. When we are selfless, needs get met. And it, it's the cl- uh, shortest distance between two people's hearts when I become selfless and I begin to serve others with no agenda in mind, it's going to connect our hearts together. Week three, we said that for for a church to work right, then lost people matter. Do not tell me that you are a Christ follower if your lifestyle says to people, just go to hell, I don't care. And if the church you go to, if the actions of that church say, go to hell, do not tell me that you are a, a Christ follower because I'm not buying what you're selling and lost people aren't buying what you're selling. They can tell very quickly. That was that week. Then week four, um, we said that uh, the church that's working right will be led by the Holy Spirit. And then today we're going to look at what the church working right, what it looks like. And part of the deal is we endure through difficulties. Next week we're going to finish up this series uh, with the very first church in Acts. And we're going to talk about resolving conflict. And, And by the way... If, if you want to know what someone believes about Christ, if you want to know what, what their, their uh, relationship with Christ is like, go through conflict with them. It's the quickest way to find out if someone is a true Christ follower or not. Because the Bible says that we're to forgive and reconcile. And if somebody doesn't want to forgive and reconcile, then they are being disobedient to Scripture. They've stepped out from underneath the authority of Scripture and they are open to the attacks of the enemy. So go through conflict and you'll find out real quickly whether someone believes what they say they believe and whether they are a Christ follower. Because he said, my ministry has come to seek and to save that which was lost. My ministry is to reconcile people to God. And then he says, I've given you the ministry of reconciliation. So don't be preaching something that you don't believe because people aren't going to buy that. Now, in this first church, the early church, they were going through some major stuff called persecution. You remember there was a relative time of peace, but then very shortly the Jews got upset that these Christians were, were telling people that Jesus was alive and that he was the Messiah that the Jews had been watching for. So they didn't like that. So it was possible to be thrown in jail simply because you were a Christ follower. Just if you said you were a follower of the way, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. If you claim to be a follower of the way, you could be thrown in jail. If you were a leader of that church, you could be beaten, you could be killed simply because you were a follower of Christ and the Jews did not like being identified with Jesus. They thought he was a murderer. They thought he was a robber. He was, he was a blasphemer. And so they had him killed. They didn't want anything to do with this Christian religion. And, and so the early church, there was all kinds of stuff. If you were a leader, you could be stoned. They had the right, the, the religious leaders of, of the Jewish nation had the right to drag you out if you were preaching Christ in their synagogue 
and throw rocks at you. That's what it means to be stoned. I'm not talking about puffing on something that makes you feel funny. I'm talking about they stone you with rocks until you're dead. And that's like on one of my top ten worst ways to die. It's kind of like being eaten alive by rats or being stoned. Either one's a bad way to go. Simply for following Christ, that could happen to you. Well, let's look at, at one of the early leaders, and we read about him a lot in Acts, but this is the letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians. It's long after all the stuff in Acts has, has been going on. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Because he was a Christ follower, they had the legal right to drag him out and beat him with whips. Five times. And 39 lashes, the law said you could give somebody 40 lashes so that to be sure they didn't go across the law, violate the law, they took one off in case somebody couldn't count. Like 39 or 40 is going to make a difference when you're being beaten with a whip. Five times it happened to Paul. Three times I was beaten with rods. So replace the whip with a rod. Same thing, 39 lashes. Once I was stoned. They thought he was dead. They drug him out. They, they stoned him until they thought he was dead. And then God miraculously healed him. He goes back up and starts preaching again. Don't you know that freaks you out? You think the dude's dead? They're, they're, whoa. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. That's everybody. He's facing danger from everybody. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to, be, to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Is it safe to say that Paul has a list of difficulties that you and I have not faced. Safe to say? I've never been beaten with rods or a whip. I've been beaten up by a bully, but, but not with a whip. I've never been shipwrecked. One time I was on a cruise and, and my ship lost one of its two big powerful engines. And so we went a little bit slower across the ocean, across the Gulf of Mexico. We still had uh, steward service where they come and clean your room twice a day. We still had fabulous meals. We still had everything. And eventually they got the engine fixed. But, you know, that was my hardship, was, was having to go slower across the Gulf of Mexico than, than something else. I, I haven't been shipwrecked. Um, I've faced dangers from rivers, but that's because I chose to get into the, the flooded Trinity River in a 14-foot John boat, flat-bottom boat. So, you know, I think Christ would have said... Don't go in there. I think that would have been his, his advice to me. So that was not because I was a Christ follower. It's because I was an idiot um, that I got in a boat and, and faced some danger. Uh, Paul faced some major difficulty in his life that you and I aren't going to face. But here's the thing with Scripture. The Bible is the most relevant book ever written. And so what we figure out is we figure out what, what was cultural to that time that doesn't apply in 2010, but there's principles. The reason this is the best-selling book of all time is because these principles for living go on forever. As long as they're humans, this will make sense. And so we're going to pull out of this scripture, and some more in just a minute, we're going to pull out those timeless principles and help you figure out, even though you don't face the same things that Paul faces... Everybody in this room has trouble. There's hurt and there's pain in this room. There is difficulty. And God's Word has given us this beautiful roadmap of how to deal with difficulty, how to endure pain in your life. And that's what we want to look at today. Now, um, we're going to read some things and, and then we're going to uh, come back to this. Um, Acts chapter 12, verses 3 through 17. Well, I've got to back up, sorry. got to back up. got to give you some, some background on this. Um, we're in Acts chapter 12, and what's going on here is there's a king named Agrippa. 
King Herod Agrippa. The Herods were horrible, horrible people. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that after Jesus was born, all the babies were killed in Bethlehem. Well, Herod the Great, who is Agrippa's great uncle, I mean great-grandfather, is, is... Dude, I'm getting all out of here. It's his grandfather, not his great-grandfather. His grandfather has all of the babies killed, orders all of the babies to be murdered because he's hoping to get rid of Jesus, who he's heard has been born king of the Jews. Now, his uncle was uh, a name, uh, another Herod, and this guy had John the Baptist beheaded. See, the Herods were a bunch of Jews, but they weren't real good Jews. They were Jews out of convenience rather than out of conviction, so the Jews hated them. So they figured any time that we can take care of one of the Jews or one of the Christians, we'll make the Jews happy. And so here's what happens with Agrippa. He gets James. If you remember, if you read through the Scripture, you'll see that many times Jesus will take three of the disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. James and John were brothers. They were called the Sons of Thunder. And he takes Agrippa... Slow down. Agrippa has uh, James arrested and he has him beheaded simply because he's a Christ follower. And the Jews dig it. And he's thinking, wow, if that made that much uh, impression on the Jews, let's go for Peter because Peter was the head of the Jerusalem church. Let's get Peter and put him in jail. All right, so that's, that's where we are. Acts chapter 12, verse 3 through 17. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he impressed him, uh, then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. So the Passover is a, is a week-long celebration. Peter is in jail for a week. Now here we are. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial. So he's been in jail for a week. The night before he's to be placed on trial and probably murdered... Because of his belief in Christ, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up! And all the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. This opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came up to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed. Instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. And of course, these people of faith that are praying earnestly for Peter, look what they said. You're out of your mind. When, they, when she insisted, they said, it must be his angel. They didn't even think that God might possibly rescue him. They thought it was his angel coming to talk to them, which I don't see that in Scripture. But anyway, meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down, and he told them how the Lord had led them out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what had happened, he said, and then he went to another place. Now, you may not have had trouble like Paul. You may not have had trouble like Peter. But the reality is every one of us faces trouble. Um, years ago, I was a youth minister, and I remember walking up to the hospital 
with one of my teenagers in my youth group because we were, they were going in, the family was going to pull the plug because his mom's brain activity was, was done and she was on a respirator and the family had made this decision. They said she hadn't had brain activity for several days. And so nobody was at the hospital with this young man. The rest of his family didn't want to watch her die. And so I stood in there and I watched this woman, 50-something-year-old woman, breathe her last gasps of air. And, and it's an image I'll never forget. A couple of years later, I was um, I walked into the emergency room and saw a six-year-old boy lying dead on on the the bed in the emergency room, um, and I saw his parents standing there and and trying to deal with the shock of a six-year-old little boy who was gone, who'd been hit by a car, and they asked me to do the funeral. And a couple of days later, I was I was getting ready to go in and do the funeral. And I walked into the worship center and I looked up at the front and I saw this casket that's about this wide, this long. And my knees kind of buckled and I sat down on the back row and the only people in the, in the worship center at that time were the funeral home folks. And, and I sat down and it hit me that my son was just a year younger than him. It could have been my son. And I lost it. And I cried and my shoulders were shaking violently. And I said, oh, God, how can I possibly have anything to say to these people? Janie's mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I think it was seven years ago. And she'd actually been going through some difficulty before that. If you know anything about Alzheimer's, you know that it is a fate worse than death. I remember sitting in the river, uh, out, she had a house outside of Meridian, about 150 yards off the Bosque River. One of my favorite things was to go see her because this woman was a woman of wisdom. She had taught Sunday school. And, and one of my favorite things, Janie's a late sleeper, I'm not a late sleeper. She would be asleep upstairs and I would smell the coffee. And I would come down and I would sit and I would drink coffee with Louise. And we would talk about stuff. And, and I would share scripture. She would share scripture. We would, she was an unbelievable woman and she's my wife's hero on this planet now she doesn't even recognize us she can't leave the the nursing home anymore because she can't my difficulty may be a little bit different than your difficulty but god has given us very clear instructions in the scripture about how to deal with difficulty and, and if you will allow it to, see, difficulty is going to make you bitter or it's going to make you better. Those are the only two choices. So if you'll allow God to, uh, to heal you, He will. And He'll show you how to, not only will this make a difference in your life, but you can tell others how it can make a difference in their life. Now, let's go back to this story with Peter, because this is kind of funny to me. Peter's in prison. Now, do you all remember his, his profession? You remember what Peter did for a living? Fisherman. Now, other than stink, I'm not sure that there was anything real special about Peter. But what's funny about this situation is Herod must be scared about something because Herod assigned 16 soldiers to guard Peter the fisherman turned preacher. I mean, was he like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Was he, you know, was he going to bust out of the chains and do some karate chop and go free? I mean, was they're scared of something. What is it? The Christ followers, the, the, the ones who were part of the first church, 
Jesus didn't even fight when he was taken to the cross and, and, and crucified. What, the first church? What are they going to do? They don't even have Bibles. They can't come beat you over the head with the Bible to try to get their guy. All they have is the Old Testament. And that's on scrolls, papyrus. What are they going to do? You set Peter free. What are you going to do? Sixteen soldiers. And he's chained between two of them. How do you want to go every day chained between two big, fat, smelly Roman soldiers? Come on, something's wrong. So I thought that was kind of funny. I don't know if you think that's funny. Second thing I noticed is the night before Peter is to be killed, what's he doing? What's the Bible say he's doing? Sawing logs. If this is your last night on the planet, you're between two fat, smelly dudes, and you know you're going to die the next day. If it's me, I'm probably a little bit nervous and going, which one of you suckers is going to take me out? My dad told me that when he was in World War II on Guadalcanal, that part of his, his goal when they were being bombed, you know, there'd be bombing raids from, from the Japanese. And, and my dad said that what would keep you going was the thought that not that you were going to live, the thought that you wanted to take out as many of the, the enemy as you could before you were killed so that somebody else might live. That was dad's thought process. So if I'm about to be killed by a bunch of smelly Romans, I'm thinking, how these change? How many of you can I take out before morning? Peter's asleep. Dude, how do you do that? The guy who got scared when the waves were too big, when he's walking on water towards Jesus, that Peter, oh God, I'm going to die. Now that he's going to die, is asleep. And he's sleeping so soundly that when the angel comes in, because the Bible says, bright light, angel shows up. Peter's snoring. The angel has to hit him in the side, strike him in the side is what the Bible says. Now, I'm a psycho sleeper. Any of you have ever been to camps or stuff, you know that's right. I have to take my fans and people are like, you bring fans? I take two and three fans now places I go to try to drown out white noise. My children will not come in the room to talk to me no matter what's going on at night because when I wake up, I come flying out. If I'm startled, I mean, the alarm will go off and I'm throwing the, the covers back and flying up out of the air. I'm ready to go. So the kids, when they need to talk to Janie, they'll come in and they'll tip. They, they're not so bad now, but they used to tap her on the shoulder and run out into the living room for fear of waking me up. Not because I would hurt them, but because I'm spastic when I wake up. If a light comes on in the house, boom, I come flying out of the bed. There was one time there was a thump at our front door. I didn't know what it was, but man, I came flying out of bed. I'm ready for a fight. I can't see a darn thing because I'm blind. I don't have my contacts on. I'm running around. And Janie's like, what are you looking for? And I said, I can't see anything. And she hands me my glasses and then I'm ready for a fight, you know. So my kids, they, they leave me alone. If bright light comes on, if the electricity goes off and the fan goes off, boom, I'm coming up. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Janie said the other night, she accidentally kicked me and I came flying up. I don't even remember this. And she goes, what? I said, what's going on? So people stay away from me. If a bright light happened, if an angel shows up in my house, I'm flying out. I'm probably striking, you know, hitting the angel. And, and then it would say, and thus, Doug struck the angel and the angel smote him with a pestilence that ate his flesh. And that was the end of his preaching career. That's what would happen to me. But Peter's snoring. And the angel has to kick him. To wake him up. I mean, this is just funny. And then, then when he wakes up, he doesn't know he's awake. Now, y'all ever had a dream when you thought you were awake? Several years ago, Janie and I were praying. We take turns every night praying when we go to bed. It's the last thing we do. So, 
She's got her head here. I got my arm around her. And it's my turn to pray. And I'm exhausted. This was back when I was in youth ministry days and I did a whole lot of crazy hours in youth ministry days. The kids were little and they weren't sleeping through the night, you know. And uh, So I'm just exhausted. And there's this guy in my youth group named Brian Vickery. Brian was a guy who came through gangs. Um, this guy had a rough, rough life. And for some reason, God had, had put us together. He was starting to come to the youth group and he was starting, God was really working in his life. Amazing stuff was happening in this guy's life. And so I start praying for Brian. Janie's right here. And I'm praying. I'm saying, oh, God, I thank you. Thank you for bringing Brian. And I mean, just God's just moving my heart. And I said, I can't believe that, that some balding white dude youth minister has become friends with a former gang minister. I mean, I'm praying stuff. Uh, gang, gang member, not minister. Gang member. And, and I'm just praying this stuff. And I'm so tired. And I fall asleep in my own prayer. but I don't know I'm asleep. And I'm not one of, because I'm such a light sleeper, I don't remember my dreams very often. So I don't remember, I mean, this dream happened and I can see it. And I'm at a National Hockey League game. There's the ice down there. I'm sitting about 20 rows up. I can still see it today. I see the Nets and I see Brian Vickery wearing a National Hockey jersey. I don't know who he's playing for. It wasn't the Stars. I don't remember what colors it was. But he's coming down here and he's going behind the net to get the puck. And, and some guys are chasing him and they're about to check him into the boards. And so I'm still praying for Brian while I'm asleep. And I say, oh, God, protect him while he's in the hockey league. And I mean, I'm just praying for the dude because I'm worried he's going to get body checked and stuff. And, and Janie goes, Brian plays hockey? And I snapped back to reality and I said, what? And she busted out laughing and she goes, dude, you fell asleep in your own prayer. And then I busted out laughing and we still laugh about that to this day. Because man, Brian was going to get hurt. And I was praying. I was convinced I was awake and I was at a hockey game. Something like that happened to Peter. Only Peter was awake. He thinks he's dreaming. He follows the angel. He goes out and does everything the angel says until the angel, you know, disappears. And, and you know when he came to his senses, because when I came to my senses, I was kind of embarrassed. Like, wow, dude, I need some sleep. I know y'all go to sleep in my prayers, but for me to go to sleep in my prayers, that's bad. But, you know, Peter wakes up in the middle of the street. He's just been part of the greatest escape in history. Angels showing up, bright lights. <laughs> Glory of God shining. He has to be kicked. <laughs> Get up, put your clothes on. So he does. He's probably in his undergarments. He wasn't sleeping in his underwear, but they had outer cloaks and stuff like that. He puts on his clothes. Gates, I mean, chains fall off. The, the, the guards are still asleep. Gates are opening by themselves. This is awesome. And then he's standing in the middle of the street by himself. Now, if you just busted out of jail, where are you going to go? Away from jail. Right? Because your life's in danger. You're not going to hang out there. You know where Peter went? To church. He's standing in the middle of the road and he says... I've got to go to this church that meets at John Mark's mom's house. By the way, John Mark, he's the guy who wrote the book of Mark in the, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wasn't one of the original followers of Jesus, but he was one that wrote that book. 
He says, I got to go to that church because I know they've been praying for me. So church has always been funny, you know, even from the beginning because comical things happen. Peter's knocking on the door, Rhoda. I mean, a chick called Rhoda. That's just funny to me. There was a, years ago, there was a series called Rhoda that's way older than y'all and it wasn't funny, but I thought the name was. So he's knocking. Rhoda comes to the door. It's Peter. Woohoo! And he's still knocking. She goes back. Peter's at the door. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he is. He's still knocking. What's that thumping? Oh, it's got to be his angel. Can't be Peter. Got to be his angel. I mean, church has been funny since the beginning. Then when they show up, they're like, oh. And he's like, chill out. And he tells them what happens. And then he says, go tell James. Obviously not that James without his head. He tells them to go tell James everything that happened. This James is the half-brother of Jesus. And, and then the smartest thing he does all night. And then it says, and Peter went to another place. I'm hauling tail out of there. Because they're looking for me. And the next day, those guards in the Roman uh, world, if you lost a prisoner, you were given whatever fate that prisoner would have had. Do you think that, that King Herod Agrippa went to the Romans and said uh, he was going to die? What do you think happened to the, the 16 guards? They died. Now, even though we go through different difficulties, we still go through difficulties in life. I want you to watch this video about a young lady and how she faces difficulty, and then we'll finish out. My name is Paige Everholtz. I'm 15 years old, and I was diagnosed with Ewing's sarcoma six months ago. Ewing's sarcoma is a large, soft-tissue tumor that was in my left thigh. I found out I had cancer um, when I had been going to the doctor for about six months because my left knee had been hurting me for a long time. I didn't know what to expect at first, like what kind of side effects I would have from the chemo and how it would make me feel. At first I tried to go to school because I wanted to try and stay in school because it, it was, was going to be real hard for me to um, keep up with all the work and stuff if I was out of school. But after about two or three months it got really hard, especially for me emotionally because I had lost all my hair by then and a lot of people stared at me and the high school that I go to is really big and there's a lot of people there and I didn't really have very many people in my class that I knew and it has always been hard for me to like make real good friends and physically the chemotherapy makes me very tired and so it was very hard even when I was out of the hospital to have the strength to go to school so now I have a homebound teacher who comes to my house every other day and for about an hour and gives me the work. There's a lot of side effects that, um, that are caused from the chemo, like nausea, vomiting, fevers, sore throats, tiredness, and mouth sores, and headaches. And I've had every single one of those. And Every time I'm in the hospital, I get sick and I throw up and it's not a very fun thing to look forward to, but I think God has really helped me deal with this because he's made so much stuff a lot easier for me to go through. And there's a lot of people up at the hospital that I know that are, just have a completely different outlook on that. Like, I know that I only have six more months of chemo treatment and that there's kids up there 
that, you know, don't have a very good out, outlook and that, you know, they had two and a half years more of chemo, but they just automatically think that, you know, they're going to die or that everything's going to go wrong. And you can tell the people up there that have God in their life because they just seem to deal with it a lot better. And, um, you know, I'm able to pray about the smallest stuff and God will answer it. And it just helps me a lot. I think going through this has really helped me to learn that no matter what, God's there for you and that there's nothing too small or too big that He can't do. And if you're going through something hard, you know, you need to just give it to God. That's all I can say because, you know, that's just been the thing that's helped me and my family the most is being able to turn to God and know that He's there and know that Every time you pray, you know, he'll answer it in his way. And he in the Bible it says that he can't he won't give you anything more than you can handle. And everything that he does is for the good of you and for the good of, you know, what he wants you to do. And so I just think that if you're going through something hard, you just need to know that it's in his will and that he's there with you by your side no matter what. She said that you can tell the people who have God in their life. And let me show you how. Five very uh, key characteristics. Number one, when you face difficulty, pray. And that's the church answer, right? Pray. Um, this is not God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for the food. If I'm ever put in prison because I'm a Christian, don't you dare pray that prayer. That prayer carries nothing. And by the way... Prayer without a holy, righteous, all-powerful God hearing the prayer is worthless. Prayer is not our only hope. God hearing our prayer is our only hope. You can pray to this little television screen I have in here, and it's not going to help you. You can pray to a bottle of pills or a bottle of alcohol, or you can pray to whatever you want to, and it's not going to help you, but God will. On the last several Monday evenings, we've had people come in here, and we've had anywhere from five to nine people come in here, and, and it's the sweetest time I have seen in our church. Because some folks come in, and they get on their face right here. Uh, the other week, there was somebody over there with, with bowing down, and they, they had their, their head in the chair, and they were praying. And it was incredible to me, the feeling of God's presence in this place. It took effort to come and to pray. And there was no agenda other than saying, God in heaven, pour out your mercy and grace. And we had a little, you know, we had some verses. Janie had done some things that you could read through. And we had some things that we prayed for. It is an effort. And it's, and in, in all honesty, that's what I see on Wednesday nights with, with Dane's group back there is folks coming and getting on their faces and saying, God, without you, there is no hope. Without you, we're wasting our time. Earnest prayer not only moves the heart of God, but it gets you in position that you begin to get God's heart. You begin to get God's um, perspective on life. And see, everything doesn't revolve around us. When we act like that, God is not obligated to answer our prayers. But you get some folks who are serious about praying and serious about God. And there is nothing. Jesus said nothing is too difficult for God. How serious are you about praying for your life and for the people in your life? Your effort will tell how serious you are. Number two, relax. 
when you were a kid and you were going somewhere, we used to travel all over the state of Texas to see relatives. And when, when I was a kid and my parents would be driving somewhere, did I worry about whether they knew what road to take? Not a chance. I fell asleep because that was back when it was 55 miles per hour was the speed limit. And to go from Borger, Texas, up in the panhandle, to Uvalde, Texas, was forever. So I'd be drooling on the back seat. I'd be sleeping as much as I could. And when we would be going home, many times we'd get home in Borger at night and, and I would be sleeping until we pulled into the driveway. Dad put it in park and I would hear the crunching of the gravel when he would turn onto our driveway and we'd pull up there and I'd feel it and I'd go, that trip wasn't so bad. Didn't worry at all about my parents taking the right road. Peter had a promise from Jesus Christ himself who said, you will live to a ripe old age. He said, when you are old, people will lead you around where you don't want to go. So Peter had a promise from God. You also have a promise from God. Did you know there's 365 fear knots in the Bible? There's a fear knot from God to you for every day of the year. And there's all kinds of promises you have from God. Peter relaxed and went to sleep. And, and most of the time you aren't in danger of being killed tomorrow morning, are you? Because of your faith. Probably not. But do you ever feel like things are out of your control? Yes? It's because they are. <laughs> You're never going to be in control. Try to get an infant to do what you want them to do all the time. You are not in control. God is. And nothing is too difficult for God. And when I pray the peace of God, what I mean is when you've prayed and when you trust your Heavenly Father with your life, Philippians 4, 6 7 and 8 says, The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what I pray for you when I know you're going through difficulty because I know that's what you need the most is the peace of God. Problem is you can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God and you have a relationship with Him. If you're not a Christ follower, you don't get the peace of God until you become a Christ follower. Third is listen and follow. If an angel wakes you up tonight and tells you to get dressed, do you think you might have a few questions? Who are you? What are you doing here? What does Moses look like? Don't you know I have to go to work in a couple hours? I mean, right? We would have some questions. What should I wear? Some of you ladies. <laughs> I kind of have shoes. Do these shoes go? Thank you. What does God want you to do in those situations? He wants you to listen and He wants you to obey. My advice to you, if an angel wakes you up tonight, is follow. <laughs> Well, okay, somebody's going to say, what do, how do you know what God wants you to do? Very quickly, three things. You hear from God's Word. You hear God speak from God's Word. 95% of everything God wants you to know is right here. If you don't know this Bible, you don't know what God wants you to do. It's real simple. Deuteronomy 32, 47 says, These instructions are not empty words. What instructions? These instructions are not empty words. They are your what? Your life. If your spiritual life sucks, it's because you're not feeding from God's Word. Real simple. I have a couple of manuals up here. I've got uh, Honda Civic 1996 through 2000. Anybody know why I have that? I have one that is broken down very often. And, and it's very helpful for the Honda. Hasn't helped me raising my kids. Hasn't helped my sex life at all. 
I've got a Mercury outboard shop manual. 3.9 to 135 horsepower from 1964 to 1971. You know why I have that? Because I've got a boat that has Coca-Cola all over the side of it, all of the little Coca-Cola thing that doesn't work. This one does me no good because I don't read it. This one I try to spend time in every day because it's my life. And the success of my marriage and the success of my parenting, the success of my preaching, everything I do in life is based on whether I am under authority of this word. When I step out from under authority and I disobey, then God is not obligated to do jack in my life. This is so important. It's why we're doing our Experiencing God study. You've got to get into it. You hear God, number two, from God's Holy Spirit. Talked about the Holy Spirit a couple weeks ago. Here's what God's Spirit does. If you're a Christ follower, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and shows you the mind of God. That's the way it works. If the Spirit of God is not revealing things to you, I'm willing to bet... I'm not a betting person. I'm willing to bet it's because you've not been spending time in the Word of God. He's got nothing to work with in your heart and your mind. So He doesn't show you God's mind because you're not getting under God's authority. Make sense? Number three, you hear from other believers. Sometimes it takes another believer to look into your life and say, have you considered this? Or another believer to say, God showed me this in the Scripture and, and he, for some reason He told me to tell you. Had an email this week. One of my friends said, this is awesome. Look at this. And, and had uh, from her devotional. She said, read this. This applies to our church. And I said, wow, that's a good word. I'm going to need to share that with the church soon. Sometimes other people have to look into your life and to speak to you. But be careful when, other, when you're listening to other people because God will never tell you to do something that contradicts His Word. Ever, ever, ever. This is the authority. This is the sole authority for New Life Community Church right here. And I, I challenge you, when you hear me speak, do not accept at face value what I tell you. Get into the Word of God and make sure it lines up. Number four, how do you have this spiritual jailbreak? Is praise. You ever prayed for something, gotten it, and then forgot to tell God thank you? You ever given your kids something that you know they really wanted and they didn't say thank you? Or your spouse, sorry, guys. So many times we forget to say thank you, but you know in, in the book of Acts in, in chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in jail. They're praising God before they were delivered. And God did some mighty things in their life because their heart was ready. Don't ever forget to come back and, and say thanks. Part of our worship every week when we sing to God and when we pray is, is we're telling God thanks for what you did, thanks for what you're doing, and thanks for what you're going to do. God covers it all. So be sure and praise Him. Number five, co connect with other believers. That means get in the church and get in a small group. Tonight, five o'clock. First place Peter goes when he gets out of prison is to the church where he knows there are believers gathered praying. Too many times when we're facing difficulty, we pull away from the church instead of moving toward the church. And that's because so many churches think that you've got to pretend you've got it all together. Too many churches don't understand that we're all messed up. And so we put on our nice clothes and we pretend everything's great so that someone will think we're spiritual when we're dying on the inside. 
Part of the reason we started New Life was because we said, we're messed up. We only want messed up people to come here. If you're not messed up, please go find another church because we don't want you. We can't relate to you. If you're perfect, see ya. Go somewhere else because we don't know what your life is like. We're just trying to be gut level honest that we have problems, but we know an all-powerful God who's given us 95%, the other 5% you get through praying and praising and, and listening to other believers. You know, that's where that comes from. 95% is here, and we believe this, these aren't idle words. These words are our life. The message of the, of the Bible is that Christians cannot live this life in their own power. It takes supernatural power from the inside. Christianity is the only religion that offers it through God's Holy Spirit living in you. 